Well, hey, everybody, thank you so much uh, for being with us again this morning. I have a special guest here with me today. Uh, friend, do you want to tell us who you are and what you do? Yeah, uh, my name is Chad Ragsdale, and um, I have the privilege of working at Ozark Christian College in Joplin, Missouri, uh, where I teach um, primarily in the areas of apologetics and philosophy, and also I'm the incoming academic dean of the institution as well. Been there about 15 years. Okay, very good. Um, you know, if, if for those of you uh, watching, um, Chad is going to get to talk to us some today about healing from technology. And so, Chad, you did your doctoral work on how um, technology spiritually forms us and, and some of the connections between that. Do you just want to kind of talk about what the church needs to know from what you've been studying that way? Yeah, so I, I did. I studied um, the intersection between theology and digital technology. Uh, for my uh, for my dissertation, and uh, really my my project was born out of a personal crisis and a personal anxiety about the influence of technology in my life. Something that frankly I'm still working through and and, and dealing with. Um, but every Sunday morning at 9:30 in the morning, uh, like many people in your congregation, I get a push notification from my cell phone, uh, and my phone tells me it gives me my screen time report. So it tells me the number of hours that I've spent on my phone on average every day that week. And it's always such a convicting, humbling experience. And frankly, something that brings me to repentance <laughs> to, to think about the amount of time that I'm spending gazing into this glowing rectangle. And, yeah. and, and the question that, I was, that I've been struggling with is, how does that time disciple me? How does it shape me? Um, there's an important principle of discipleship that, that I think we all should recognize that we all should know. The principle of discipleship is this time plus proximity plus imitation leads to a shared resemblance. Mm -hmm. So time, spending a lot of time in close proximity and imitating that thing, you're eventually over time, you're going to share that resemblance. You're going to start to look like that person. You're going to start to look like that thing. And so that's obviously true about Christian discipleship, right? So the more time we spend with Jesus, the closer we are with Jesus, the more we, we walk and talk and imitate Jesus, the more we are shaped into his image. We start to look like Jesus in our lives and the way that we treat people, the way that we think, et cetera. But that discipleship principle also works for every other thing in our lives. So if I'm spending hours every day on social media or watching YouTube videos or frankly just absent-mindedly staring into the screen of my smartphone. If I'm dedicating that much time in close proximity with this digital technology and I'm imitating its technology has certain imperatives. It has certain ways of thinking. I, and the more time you spend with something, you, the more you learn to think from that technology rather than thinking about it, you think from it. So you don't think about your cell phone, you think from your cell phone? What does the cell phone allow me to do? What does it make possible? What does it make impossible? So I, I begin my thought process assuming certain things about the technology in my life. And all that is to say, the longer you spend with any of that technology, the more it's going to disciple you into its image. And so I think as Christians, certainly, Christians who have been tasked with 2 Corinthians 10, taking every thought captive, 
mm-hmm. being thoughtful about our life, being thoughtful about our culture, um, taking every thought captive. I think certainly part of what that means in our context today is that we need to be thoughtful about the various ways that digital technologies, and when I use that phrase, I'm talking principally about smartphones, social media, and the like. Um, how are those things discipling us into their image? So how are we coming to look like social media? How are we coming to look like smartphones, to look like streaming video services? Like how is that shaping us as people and as communities? The, can you hear me? That, that's, the, that's the biggest principle. That's, that, that's the biggest principle that, that I've taken away from, from this particular study is the discipleship principle. Good. Uh, you know, one of the, uh, there's an echo. Oh, is there? <laughs> so we, we thought about calling this sermon Recovering from Irony uh, because, you know, we're having to use this digital technology to do this. Chapel Rock, we tried to get Chad here in person, and we just couldn't make the couldn't make yeah. the dates work out. Bit of a drive down to Joplin, but um, Chad, when you when you study the story of the Tower of Babel, where, where humankind is resulting in is excuse me exultant in this technology of building this tower, yeah. Um, what do you see in that passage that might surprise somebody? What stands out to you? Well, I mean the the so the Tower of Babel was really the second occasion in scripture where technology was employed for salvation purposes. The first occasion, of course, was Noah and the ark. The ark was a magnificent work of technology. But in that instance, technology went hand in hand with the, the hand in, of God, with, the, with the, the creative aspects of God. Um, the Tower of Babel was also technology employed for the purposes of salvation, but the difference was the Tower of Babel was absent of God. Um, and so if you read Genesis 11, um, Genesis 11 says that there were two principal reasons why they built the Tower of Babel. One was for their own reputation to make themselves great. Mm-hmm. Look at what we've done, uh, which has always been part of the human impulse of creativity. Creativity is a great godly thing, but where it can go wrong is when we are creative for our own glory rather than our creator's glory. Um, But then the second reason why they built the Tower of Babel is for kind of a salvific reason. They didn't want to be spread across the face of the earth. They wanted to be secure and safe together. And so by building this tower, that was the hope that they wouldn't have to be spread across the face of the earth. So, So those were the two principal reasons. Now, as I think about that story and how it applies to the world that we live in now, we have to a certain extent constructed um, a new sort of digital tower of Babel. Um, So the promise of digital technologies like the internet, um, one of the principal promises of the internet was that this was going to be able to connect us all together. It was gonna shrink the size of the planet it was going to make communication easier. Transparency was going to be easier. Um, sharing of ideas, sharing of cultures, everything was going to be easier. So the, the boundaries of time and space were going to be removed by internet technology. That was always the promise. And to some degree or another, it has, of course, fulfilled that promise. We live in a very small world now. 
we live in a world where we are we we are hyper connected not just connected we're hyper connected to one another uh, digital technology is always on and always connected that's one of the differences with digital technology and old technology your your car for instance isn't always on and always available you have to go to your car and use your car you, the, the internet is all around us we're always on we're always connected so the internet has given us this promise almost in a way trying to reverse what happened at babel right to, to the the internet is our new day of pentecost it's kind of brought us all together right the problem that we're experiencing though and anybody that's spent any time on social media can testify to this connectivity um absent god and absent truth and absent grace mere connectivity does not solve the brokenness that was evident at babel and so we we go online, we go on Facebook, we go on Twitter, whatever, and our impulse is to become tribal almost immediately. Yeah. We occupy our little bubbles. Um, we fight with other people who disagree with us. Um, we tune out other people that 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 might challenge us. Like so, the internet has promised us connectivity, but really the gift that it's given us is it's reminded us that we are at our core broken tribal people who can't help but fight with one another when we get together. And it's, re it's reminded me of the miracle of Pentecost. Like why was the Pentecost, the day of Pentecost such a miracle? It was a miracle because God came down. The, the, the boundaries between individuals creating this new community, this new church, this new family, this new weird thing was only the, the, it was only the result of God moving, God taking action. And now every tribe, language, people, and nation gather together under the Lordship of Christ. And it's only because of Jesus that the, the, the curse of Babel, I suppose, can be removed. Technology by itself is not nearly enough to fix the brokenness that exists in our communities. Mm. Wow, that's really good. Um, so, you know, we've been having to do this a lot of people have been working remotely. A lot of people have been just yeah. living, um, eat, eat, breathing, and sleeping technology for about a year now. Uh, we're recording this on March 30th. Um, it was just about a year ago, like everything shut down. I mean, yeah. it was, you know, you're stuck at home. Um, so if somebody is just flat sick of it, they're just done. They're just really just done. But they have to use it either in work or school. What would you recommend? Um, like, how do they feed their soul through... Yeah. is arguably probably one of the driest times of their life. Yeah. Well, the first thing that I would say is I would affirm your feeling of being sick of it. <laughs> um, because I really believe that is your soul telling you that there's something not quite sufficient and not quite mm -hmm. right about living your lives, conducting your business, conducting your relationships, conducting your school. Like there's nothing there. It's not there's a reason why virtual, the word virtual means not quite the real thing. Um, and so we've been trying to fool ourselves over the last year that digital spaces can, can approximate the real thing. But I think there's something deep within our souls that recognizes that's not possible. And now a year into this, you know, even, you know, you don't have to be a Christian person to, to recognize this or to feel this. We all kind of feel this lack. We feel this, um, unsatisfaction with with this virtual life so one of the 
one of the gifts that maybe we've been given over the last year is we've been given a glimpse into the type of life that we know we don't want to live. Um, and there are some lessons to be learned here moving forward once we do exit sort of this COVID era where we can cultivate and develop new habits, new disciplines that really lead to our, our, our true flourishing in ways that technology can't really provide. Hmm. And so I never tell people um, when I talk about technology, I never tell them, hey, you know what's best? Just delete all your social media, go get a dumb phone, you know, cancel Netflix. Like I'm, I'm not that guy because if I said that, I would be a hypocrite, okay? This, we live in a digital world. And so as Christians, we can, I suppose, choose to try to bunker ourselves in that digital world, but I think it's better for us to try to learn to live wisely hmm. and godly in that digital world. And, and a lot of that revolves around developing healthy habits. So identifying times and places and even people who are sacred, where the phone isn't allowed in this conversation. The phone isn't allowed in this place. Um, at Ozark, chapel has become one of those sacred places. So, so students, faculty, staff alike, we're all told at the very beginning of chapel, it's become a, almost a liturgical thing. Get out your phones and turn them off yeah. because yeah. we want- Like, like, like off, off? Yeah, 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 physically off. It's, it's the first time that many of these students have ever turned off their phones, actually. Um, and, and not just students, but even faculty. And, uh, but the reason why we do that is because we want to communicate, this is a sacred place. And the thing about like smartphones, wherever a smartphone enters, it becomes less than a sacred place because the smartphone allows us to make public every, everything that's happening. So, you know, you're having dinner with your wife, you're celebrating your 20th wedding anniversary and you get the smartphone out because you want to take pictures of the food that you got or, or whatever, or maybe it's even more innocent than that. You want to get a, a selfie of you out on a date and share it on Instagram. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But you realize as soon as you take something that is sacred and you share it widely publicly for, for public consumption, you've stripped it of some of its specialness. You've stripped it of some of its sacredness. And I think the smartphone is discipling us to see our entire lives as being less than special, as being less than sacred. Everything is on public display. Everything is put out there for public consumption. And so one of the disciplines that, um, that I challenge my students to develop is identify times, places, and people that are sacred where your phone is, is not allowed. Um, start with that. Another thing that I recommend is what's called digital decluttering. Um, and uh, it's sort of like decluttering your closet. You just enter into a season, usually about 30 days, you enter into a season where you strip away as much of the digital clutter from your life as possible. Um, so if you have a job that requires that you're on the computer, obviously you have to be on the computer, but you don't have to be on social media. So maybe take a month off of social media. You also don't have to be on Netflix. So maybe take a month off of Netflix. Um, so digital declutter your life. And then during that month, fill those times and fill those spaces where you would ordinarily be just surfing on your phone. Pick up that guitar that you've been neglecting for so long. Read a good book, put a puzzle together, go on a long walk with your with your spouse. Um, 
So you fill those spaces that you normally occupy with digital technology. And then after the month is over, you can start reintegrating some of that technology into your life. But now that technology doesn't fit as well because you've already filled up those places with other habits that you enjoy even more. And, uh, and that's, that's, a, that's a process I've led several classes through. I've gone through the process a couple times. And let me tell you, it's a process that you have to repeat over and over and over again because these digital habits, they are hard to break. They are really hard to break. Mm, very good. So you're an educator, yeah. um, a teacher, future academic dean. Um, where, where can the church come alongside the teachers and students in our community uh, to help them heal from an overexposure to technology? Oh, that, that's, the, that, that's one of the big questions that a lot of churches are asking literally right now. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll just give you a few, a few ideas. Okay. Um, I'm going to talk about the church as a whole first and then about student ministry second. So the church as a whole, um, frankly, and I, I hope I don't step on too many toes when I say this, uh, but it is true. Um, the church by its design, by its design, was intended to be fully embodied and incarnational. The church should be a respite. It should be an oasis from hyper-digital, hyper-virtual lives. Now, I recognize the import and the value of, for a season, having church streaming as the way we've been doing it, and that's fine. I get it. But as we emerge from this season, we really need to lean into the fact that the embodied community together is one of the things that makes the church special. It makes the church set apart. And it's frankly, it's one of the things that makes the church refreshing to the world. And if we take that component away from the church and we just, we become digital, just like everybody else is digital, then we're really compromising on one of the most important gifts that we have to offer to the world, which is true deep incarnational community found in Jesus Christ. And so um, that's, I know that's, that's a 30,000 foot view, uh, but that's, to me, that's, that's an important principle um, for us to embody. Um, so lean into that physical community, that physical worship, that physical, um, that incarnational type of ministry. Um, the second thing I want to say is in regards to student ministry, and it's kind of the same message. Um, I, uh, for my research, Casey, I did a lot of study on, of course, college-age students and high school students and how digital technology is affecting them. And I'd if we had more time, I'd love to go into that in, in greater detail. Uh, but suffice it to say, digital technology is radically reshaping students' mental health and not for the good. It's radically reshaping the way that students interact with one another. Even it's, it's studies have even done, been done that have shown with the advent of digital technology, levels of empathy and caring have actually dropped in recent years. So, so the more time we spend online, the less empathetic we become. Um, so all this time on digital media is having a negative effect, especially on our students. The average, um, senior in high school today is going out with friends at about the same level as the average eighth grader about 20 years ago. Um, so st students aren't going out. They're not, they're not 
having that community, that physical community with each other the way that they used to because they're on their phones. Um, and so one of the things I've told youth ministers is this, this sounds very non-spiritual or whatever, but I tell youth ministers never ever apologize for doing something as quote unquote unspiritual as a fifth quarter or as a group hang or as, you know something like that because this is something again that students desperately need. Students need, even if COVID had never happened, this would be true. Students need to be physically in the same place as their peers and also physically in the same place as their mentors. They, they need to, to feel and experience that, that discipleship and that community that only happens in a physical space. Um, so I guess that Casey, to answer your question, what I would say more broadly is that the church in this digital age has the opportunity to be an alternative. Um, so it doesn't mean we abandon all of our digital technology. We're still probably going to do streaming services. We're still going to have a social media presence. We're still going to do all that stuff. But man, we need to protect the fact that there are certain things that we can offer as an alternative that this world is forgetting. And this is an opportunity, I think, for us as a church. Awesome. Chad, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate yeah. your insight here.